0: Comes back to the movies. And when I sat in the theater in 1977 and watched Richard Dreyfus walk up the gangway and fly off to the stars, I began to think. And Americans were really ready to understand UFOs. Then, the propaganda machine churned out E.T., showing kids the fantasy of a friendly, gentle alien, and I knew I had to say something. As reality was not touchy-feely aliens who heal cut fingers and launch your Huffy like a, a Cessna. It was time for someone to explain all of those sightings since 1947 and to connect the dots, to tell the truth that I knew, even if it cost me my other leg. Little did I know, of course, that I was playing into their scheme.
1: What did Fletcher actually see back in naval intelligence? Hard to say. He was a born bullshitter and an outright liar when he felt the situation required. Of course, we know experienced military pilots to this day keep seeing... something up there. Something that baffles them and all the experts we've thrown at the problem. If I have to guess... I think Fletcher saw some very strange reports in those folders, and they rolled around his mind, growing in his fertile imagination, until they came out, well, the way they came out. I had been around the UFO movement for
2: years by that point, on the, the computer BBS systems we had in the early 80s. At that point, I was kind of a minor cause célèbre.
1: You know, because
2: of who my dad was.
1: This is my interview with Bruce Little Green Men, Brattle Jr. Yes, he's the son of that Bruce Brattle, the director who made all those legendary westerns. Jr. definitely made a name for himself, though, as a sort of gentleman daredevil, taking risks no rich boy has to, including a record-breaking, wind-powered, land-speed record that nearly killed him. And he was on the short list for one of the later Apollo launches before Nixon scrapped the program. The point is, he was pretty well out of his dad's shadow by the time he got involved in the UFO scene. Yeah, I suppose I did like carving out a name for myself. I uh,
2: I grew up with all those Oscars on the mantle. It was like a challenge, you know? Do you see what I have done, Junior? Can you live up to the name that I gave you? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if I beat the old man, but I did things and I saw things that he never would have dreamed of. In certain circles, you would say I was a pretty big deal. But, you know, I went and I took that cachet and I wasted it because I became a UFO nut. But, you know, I had a name and it made people pay attention to my conjecture, as I called it.
1: Brattle Jr. Jr. Who went by LGM on those UFO enthusiast bulletin boards set out to craft a plausible explanation that could tie up a lot of loose UFO conspiracy threads into one story. A tale of the government's secret machinations to keep the discovery of downed alien spacecraft and extraterrestrial bodies from the public. Why? To beat the Ruskies, dammit! Oh. The government bureaucrats assigned to the
2: situation, they weren't crazy. They weren't just going to let them start kidnapping wealthy urbanites from the Upper West Side. No. No, no. In exchange for advanced satellite and aerospace and energy tech, they put a target on the back of everyone who lived far away from the population centers. The people who live in what they today call flyover country. And it was open season to poke and prod those people for whatever ever-mysterious goals the visitors had in mind, and I would suggest to you that neither they nor our benevolent government had the future prosperity of Joe Sixpack in their minds when they made their deals. But I digress.
1: You are here to learn about how I met Marv. Of all the people I interviewed for this project, Brattle's the only one who called Marvel James Fletcher by his first name, At the time, Brattle was what he calls a high end barfly, a habitué of trendy LA venues where he partied with the bands backstage and reportedly imbibed an inhuman amount of cocaine and groupies. Fletcher was, at the time, struggling to keep things together as a traveling salesman, though he later claimed he was a huge success. In reality, he wasn't moving a lot of Britannicas. But on the UFO message boards, He was a rising star, the man who could confirm and expand upon Brattle's conjecture about the real reason for all those UFO sightings, thanks to the secret files he read during his naval service. Hmm? During one of Fletcher's swings through SoCal, Brattle invited him to catch a show at a favorite haunt to plan his debut appearance before the UFO True Believers.
0: Can I help you? Marvell Fletcher. Supposed to be on the guest list.
1: Yeah, I see your name. Alright, you can come. The rest of you, back up. Now!
2: Thanks for coming, everyone. You look lost, friend. Might you know anything about a man who goes by the name Naval Officer Q Clearance on a UFO message board? Oh, never mind. The look on your face says it all. Please be my guest. I know the drummer. They let me use their green room to relax between sets. Do follow me. Uh, We really think you're going to like this next one. It's a new one we've been working on. help yourself to a drink. And while I'm indulging, do you care for a sniffle? Oh, again your face says it all. No, then. And so, a brief magic trick. And it disappears. Now, how can I help you, Mr. Clearance?
0: Assuming you're on the level, and you are, in fact, battling Bruce Brattle's kid, The man with the BBS handle, Little Green Men? If that's true, then you can call me Marvell James Fletcher. But I'm not sure this is the place for us to exchange top secret information.
2: But of course, that's the problem in a nutshell, isn't it? I never claimed to be in possession of any top secrets. I simply conjectured the whole idea from the reports of others. Then I typed it on my keyboard to put it out into the universe. I only take my own bullshit seriously about half the time. But you, you claim to have seen absolute documentary verification that my delicately woven fantasies are in fact true. What a
0: strange
2: turn of events that is. Slow
0: down. You figured out a lot of it, but I've got more to tell. In fact, I've recently wrote a letter to every member of the U.S. Intelligence Committee explaining in broad outline what I've seen. I'm positive most of those senators have no idea what's in those files.
2: And I'm sure their secretaries got a little frisson when they opened and glanced at your letters. But after that, I assure you, they put them in a pile with the rest of the senators' incoming correspondence, and they'll make sure you get a proper, serious-sounding thank you note. Something like, I so appreciate your writing to me with your concerns. Oh dear, I see I've upset you. I don't mean to. I just think you should accept that writing to the proper authorities is not the way to get your story out. But as it happens, there's a convention in Las Vegas a few weeks from now. I could pull some strings. I could get you a prime slot to tell your tales in front of an audience that's hungry to hear what you have to say.
1: That speech, that was the real turning point in Fletcher's life. It was the first time he could bring everything together. His magnetic personality, his clear delivery of complex ideas, his deep feeling that something was desperately wrong in the country and that it was his duty to fix it. Plus, of course, his unparalleled ability to spin bullshit out of thin air, taking morsels of fact and transforming them into a fleshed out worldview that delivered what his audience so deeply desired a feeling that they were in the know, and everybody else, well, they were just ignorant sheeple. And at creating that feeling, there's never been anyone better than Fletcher.
2: for that well-researched presentation. Our next speaker is a new face around the UFO research community, but he comes recommended by one of our leading lights. Are you out there, Bruce? Yes, I see you. And your lady friend. Get a room! (laughs) But not yet, because I understand we're in for a real stem winder from... Marvell James Fletcher, making his speaking debut here today. Let's give him a warm welcome.
0: All <clears> right, <throat> uh, sorry. Thank you. Can y'all hear me? Thank. Thank you. Oh, okay. That you can hear me now. Great. Uh, thank you all so much for having me. Uh, not sure how you're gonna feel about when I get finished telling you what I'm here to say today, but let us not be afraid of the truth. Never afraid to know what's really happening. And today, I'm gonna spell out why the government is terrified that you might learn about UFOs. And I said terrified. And I mean it. Now you've heard about a few early saucers that were down, and they're recovered by the government. Well, I'm telling you those are the tip of the iceberg. There have been many more, crashes where live aliens were recovered, along with their cargos of human body parts gathered for their scientists to study. Those are the ones the government definitely does not want you to know about. They're the reason they started the CIA program to muddy the waters and obscure the UFO evidence, a program that's accountable to no one, not even the president. Yes, the US government captured an alien back in the 1940s, and they only held on to him by building a Faraday cage. Necessity, since the entity could just walk through regular walls, that it could walk, it all seemed something of a miracle, since the cells were almost indistinguishable from terrestrial plants. They quickly realized the doctor was no use in treating the injuries sustained in the saucer crash. Instead, they enlisted a leading botanist who was able to keep EB, that's what they called him, the extra-biological entity. They kept him alive for a time, but captivity didn't agree with him, and he slowly wasted away. situation that was clearly the inspiration for the later disinformation film, E.T., Apparently, some of his handlers nicknamed him Glenn because E.B. just sounded, quote, too weird to keep saying out loud, end quote. For years, this visitor was interrogated for details about a civilization, though no record of these sessions remains. they informed the new president, Dwight Eisenhower, that our radar could take down alien ships. It catastrophically interfered with their navigation. I gave instructions to shoot down as many as possible, and they started falling out of the sky like rain. But then we detected the big ship hovering quietly several hundred miles above the equator. A giant promise. Bad things to come if we kept our current approach. U.S. emissaries were sent, formal treaty was signed. The visitors, for their part, swore not to sign any treaties with any other nations. In exchange, our government allowed them to abduct a certain number of Americans, so long as they weren't harmed and would retain no memory of the event. Eisenhower received our first alien ambassador with all the pomp of a foreign head of state. There's film of this meeting in a government vault to this day. This ambassador stayed with our government for nearly a decade, supposedly a show of good faith. His name was, and I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's true, His Omnipotent Highness Krill. Behind his back, his American captors found his title off-putting, instead christened him the original hostage, or just O.H. Hollywood transformed this meeting into the climactic scene of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. In the real version... There was no love lost on either side. run our government, sell us out to these powerful invaders? For new military hardware, of course. New vehicles and weapons like stealth bombers and precision munitions, plus dozens of other technologies they haven't yet quite acknowledged that are currently being tested at secret facilities like Dreamland, also known as Area 51. So the aliens provided most of the tech they promised in exchange for American flesh. But on other counts, they lied. Instead of reporting each abductee so they could be monitored afterward by the U.S. government, they began killing and mutilating humans and animals. We also know they contacted the Russians. But of course, what could we do to retaliate? Repeated engagements between our aircraft and theirs proved what we all suspected. Militarily, we were totally outclassed. What the powers that be only gradually learned was that the aliens were up against an existential threat themselves, on the verge of extinction from deteriorating genetics. Gathering DNA from us and from certain animal species was their last-ditch effort to jumpstart their species' reproduction. And the reason they could use our genetics? Because they were the ones who created us in the first place. I see a few nodding heads out there in the audience. Those ancient astronauts' stories that were popular in the 70s have more than a grain of truth in them. Though they were hopelessly compromised on the specifics, from what I've pieced together, they used time travel to see the Earth with our species, then continue to nudge her development at certain important moments through careful interventions. They invented most religions, for example. Each designed as a tech demo for the final revelation when they would return to earth as benevolent gods to rule over all humans forever.
3: I'm coming along, yes i coming on.
2: A grenade. I just wanted to pull the pen and drop it into a room full of UFO people and see who would jump on it. It shook him up. That's what it did. But by the end of the speech, all the tendencies, everything that was going to turn him into a pariah in that world, it had all started to creep in already. He'd taken my conjecture and he told everyone that he had seen the records that proved it was true. And he didn't show us the records, he just elaborated further and further. And he got out in front of his skis.
0: If I have one idea to leave you with, it's this. If you put the aliens in the middle, everything makes sense. There's so much more I could tell you, but it's, it's, it's time for you to get out there and verify what I've said here for yourself. My work is done. Go out and research. See if I'm full of it. And when you do, you'll not only learn about the vast cover-up of our extremely advanced space program... The fact that we had a lunar colony when Kennedy announced the Apollo program, for example. Or the recently inaugurated secret base on Mars. If you dig far enough, you're going to find, almost as an afterthought, the real story of how Kennedy was killed. Believe me, don't believe me, it does not matter. No matter what they do to me, I have done my duty.
2: Thank you very much. He started trying to twist his UFO narrative. In hindsight, I'm sure it was just as hypothetical and unsubstantiated as mine was. He twisted it into a global conspiracy plot. It reached back into antiquity and embraced every major event, including,
1: <laughs> including his very unorthodox ideas about who shot JFK. His bizarre version of the Kennedy conspiracy theory was actually the first time I ever heard of him was on a videotape my friend's older brother owned back in the early 90s, Fletcher delivering an updated version of his talk about aliens in a church basement somewhere in the Midwest or something. But the showstopper moment was when he showed you a super slow-down version of the Zapruder film and pointed out the so-called evidence for his version of the assassination. Between the grainy film and Fletcher's overwhelming confidence, I swear the first time I saw it, Few minutes, he had me going. I thought he had actually cracked the case. I snapped out of it a few minutes later, though. And of course, the whole thing just seems so absurd now.
2: Look, it's a common phenomenon. I've diagnosed it among enthusiasts. I call it UFO disease. It happens when you keep talking way after you've stopped knowing what you're talking about. Marv had the worst case I've ever seen. What was it? Oh God, what did he say killed Kennedy? <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's
2: right. A shellfish toxin pellet gun.
4: Now, I know you've probably all seen this before. It's the famous film Abraham Zapruder shot in Dallas that day. But what I'm going to ask you to do is this time focus your attention on someone you probably never even noticed before.
3: President Kennedy's limo
4: driver. Why do I want you to focus on him? Because, ladies and gentlemen, he's the one who actually fired the fatal shot that killed the president. provided easily concealed, electrically operated gas-powered weapon that would not only cause physical damage that, that, that blew off the back of the president's head, but also delivered a lethal dose to poison should he somehow survive that trauma. stop before he reached Parkland Hospital. And if you look closely, you can see the driver slow down to a new stop just before shooting. and the glimpse of the murder weapon in his hand. did it and how.
1: Now, the only question we have left the answer is why? I've sometimes tried to imagine the meeting between this Secret Service driver, who was also a secret presidential assassin, and his presumed handler when he revealed this plan. I mean, can you even imagine that discussion? If this insane story was true? Hey, uh, hey, oh, ooh, hey, uh, do you have a code word?
5: Yes. Yes.
1: What's your code name?
5: If I told you, then you wouldn't be the right person.
6: Well, we got to be careful. We got to be careful. I mean, now, look, this—I've got a really interesting plan here, but I got to make sure that I, you are who you're supposed to be. It says dolphin. Is it blue
5: dolphin? Are you sure nobody else knows about this booth and this strip club?
6: Where else would they possibly look for a, a, an important individual who's trying to convey a plan to another important individual?
5: Okay. Well, Jack said the drinks are on him, so.
6: Right, well, I'm your blue. Let's just can we? It's just because I like this party. It's kind of fun. I, you're Blue Dolphin. I'm Agent Orange.
5: Okay, okay. Uh I'm all go. I'm glad you guys finally came around with this. Well, that's good. That's good. I think we're all on the same page. A lot of my investments are starting to get a little shaky in the defense industry and Pepsi Cola. Well,
6: that's good. We, uh, before we, before I get to the good stuff, Blue Dolphin, is that where we're yeah. going to go here? Blue Dolphin, yeah, I just yeah. just, yeah. As a member of the Secret Service, yeah, you're exactly who we need to carry out this plan. Yeah. You are going to be the driver of the president's limousine. Okay. Have you uh, have you driven a long uh, car like that before? A long black car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like a it's like a regular car, but it's a little longer. You know, it, it turns a little wider. You know, it's no big deal. I have. Okay, good. Well, here, so we're off to a good start here. We're off to a good start. Now, here's here's what we'd like you to do. So, we're, I'm going to hand you. Yeah. Okay, you can't even pretend like you know what this is because it doesn't exist.
5: You understand what I'm saying, okay. Blue Dolphin? I can look at it. Can I touch it?
6: No, no, no. Let me explain it to you. Let me explain it to you. So this is really cool stuff, man. I've been in the lab and I saw this stuff happen. It's, it's a gun that shoots a shellfish toxic pellet at subsonic speeds.
5: <laughs> subsonic.
6: It's the slow. It's the slow pellet. No, here's what happens: you shoot the slow pellet. It doesn't make a sonic uh, eruption or a, uh, yeah. you know, like a not a sound like a sonic boom or a pop. It's very quiet. There's no pow. It's very discreet.
5: I have a question: when would I shoot him with this?
6: Well, while you're driving the car.
5: Usually, I drive with two hands on the wheel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm driving the car, but I'm just gonna. Reach around. Oh, no, no, no. Just let's do it one step at a time. One step at a time. You know, you got, you got
6: one hand on the wheel. You're kind of relaxed. You know, you got maybe one hand on the seat next to you. You're just driving.
5: Can we, can we look at the scene for a second? Yeah, yeah,
6: yeah. So, yeah.
5: There's a lot of people on, on the road on yeah, both there's sides Yeah, there's
6: people this. everywhere. There's people on the side of the road. There's people up in stands. They're waving flags. They're very excited. Okay. All eyes are on you.
5: Okay. Uh, there's somehow... Not going to notice me, turn around and shoot the president in the head so uh, so blue dolphin, can I call you blue
6: dolphin yeah. so I, I I was told that you were uh, a professional at discreetly uh, eliminating roadblocks
5: usually i don't do it on stage it's it 's a, a car, your driver who nobody's paying attention to the driver. I- can you describe to me a mechanism where I do not get seen in this crowd of thousands as I turn around to shoot the president in the head? Bait
6: and switch. Bait and switch. You ever, you ever, you ever, you ever played the shell game? You know, you go and, you, and they move the shell around and they put the little piece of shit underneath the shell and they move it around? That's what we're doing. Okay. It's
5: bait and switch. It's bait and Bait and switch. <laughs> bait and switch. How are they not going to... So you say saying okay. they're oh, all right. going to be no. focused on, the, on well, the president.
6: Okay, so uh, generally you wouldn't be, someone in your position wouldn't be privy to the rest of the, uh, the things that we're going to do to make this plan work, but I'll, on this occasion, Blue Dolphin, I will fill you in on what's going to happen. So at the designated time and designated spot where you are going to turn and fire your shellfish toxic pellet gun at our, our, our shared problem that we have, just at that moment, we'll have someone
5: open an umbrella. It, uh, and that would be a distraction. Well, think about that. Think, you're walking down the street,
6: somebody opens an umbrella, what do you do? You're looking at it you're like, oh, why is he opening an umbrella?
5: Okay. It, now, the umbrella opener, is, is, is he an asset? This is information on a need-to-know basis. Maybe I could go open the umbrella and the other guy could drive no, no, the no, car. no,
6: no, 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 no. This is going to be fun. You've done this before. You have this experience?
5: Wait a second. Wait a second. For weeks... Months we've been going through this. We have plans drawn up. We ran through some of this with Fidel Castro. Wait. I've had experience. I'm a marksman. There's the book, the book suppository, which is perfect view of where this, this uh, action is going to take place. I'm already trained and ready for that. Why would we suddenly no, change no,
6: no, the... No, uh, no, 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 no. That's way too risky. Way too many ways that that could go wrong. Why shoot from a distance using a high-powered rifle? with a world-famous marksman, when you've got a shellfish toxic pellet gun in your belt.
5: In the car with the president. In the car with you know, the
6: president. You can't miss. Have you seen this thing? Sir- you should see this thing. It's So here's you know, how it works. It's,
5: it even looks like a shellfish.
6: I mean, it's it's ridiculous, right? It's ridiculous. Like, you pull it out, you shoot it.
5: So I have a lobster laying in my yeah, lap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just reach down and grab, grab the lobster, turn around. Yeah, yeah,
6: yeah. Right between the eyes.
5: But I, you I can't wanna,
6: dodge a toxic pellet. It's not possible.
5: You know, it's so crazy. It just might work. You it's, see, I, that's what I'm saying. You're really thinking outside the box. We, I, that's what we want to do. Why I was nervous. Exactly. That's it's gonna
6: I'm be nervous. great. You're gonna be fantastic. Yeah. You're gonna eliminate this problem that we have. And then, you, you know, can, then, then you'll have your own uh, shellfish toxic pellet
1: gun. You can do whatever you want with it.
5: I can finally go deal with Fidel. That's right.
1: Of all the movies that ever obsessed Fletcher. I think the one that had the greatest hold on him was that grainy, soundless, one-minute movie that spawned a mystery he believed that he alone had finally solved. He never wavered till the end of his life in his conviction that his version of the assassination was the only one that was even plausible. Out of all the things he said about UFOs,
2: it was this Kennedy theory. That turned him into a star among the whole conspiracy underground circuit. His story, it was bizarre, but it was brand new. They prize novelty. The details that he could imagine, he could discern, in this grainy, umpteenth-generation VHS copy he was selling for $50 a pop, it was obvious. The glint off the gun was sunlight. It was reflecting off the pomaded hair of some other Secret Service officer in the car, but people seemed to buy what he was selling. I didn't. And he couldn't stand it.
1: Fletcher turned on Bruce the second he started sounding skeptical. Which is ironic, since Fletcher constantly insisted that no one should believe him or anyone else, that they should do their own research. But if that research, or even common sense, led to a conclusion Fletcher didn't like, watch out. The final straw he left this horrific, threatening message
2: on the answering machine of an old friend of mine. This was a producer who was interested in telling the story of Marv's military service and how he uncovered all these secrets. So once my friend started doing some due diligence, he was digging around, he found holes in all the stories, and you you just gotta listen to the tape. Ah!
4: Mr. I just wanted to let you know that I acquired a group of bodyguards to protect me. Many enemies who might wish me ill. And I'm not not the advice given business but I assure you it'd be a good idea for you to do the same. You never know when somebody that you've completely fucked over sold out to the powers that be might reach the end of his rope. What am I talking about? You have nothing to fear. An honest man like you should be able to sleep tight. Just rest. Beautiful dreams. Before you go to bed, you might want to check those locks. Once. Twice.
2: And that was Marv. When he was frustrated. When he was in his cups, as it were. He was capable of horrific verbal and emotional abuse. And from what I have heard about his many marriages, he could be physically violent as well. And I realized for my own health and insanity that I had to cut ties with
3: mom
2: So I didn't speak to him. I don't think after 1992? Of course, by then, he'd completely changed his UFO story anyway. He had some new discovery or other.
0: The so-called friends
2: I'd made in the UFO community turned out to be
0: anything but. I suppose that would have been a real setback, but around the same time, I realized that everything I had thought about UFOs was... Wrong. Two completely different factors that together caused the scales to fall from my eyes, so I could finally acknowledge that I was a dupe. UFOs were the ultimate red herring. Have you ever heard of Thomas Dewey? No, bookworms, he's not the decimal system Dewey. That's a man named Melville. And I would never want to tarnish his good name by association. No, Thomas Dewey was a progressive globalist former governor of New York, the reason I bring him up is because in 1917 he mentioned in a speech advocating world peace that, and this is a quote,
2: Someone remarked that the best way to unite all the nations on this globe would be an attack from some other planet. In the face of such an alien enemy, people would respond with a sense of their unity of
1: interest and purpose. That quote is accurate but it was given in the spirit of a man trying to exhort his fellow humans to peace without the imaginary threat of an alien attack. Not that Fletcher was willing to entertain that.
0: But a coincidental quote wouldn't have been enough to shake me loose from my UFO hypothesis. Like a doubting Thomas, I needed more. And brother, did I get it.